Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. So, uh, like I said, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 15. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have a stack of them in the back if you want to grab one, um, or you can listen along as I read it. Uh, If you were here last week, we read through the end of the the gospel, uh, chapter 14 in Matthew, and uh, Matt Deason taught on uh, Jesus and Peter walking on water, and we really asked the question, we, we spent some time praying, asking the question, where is God calling me to step out in faith? Where does he want to grow our faith? And today, what we're actually going to read is, a, I think, a really interesting passage in Matthew 15, because Jesus has some really indicting words for the Pharisees, uh, but they're words that I think that actually have a lot for us as well. So let's jump in. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? This is verse 13. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's a long passage this morning. But uh, let's just kind of frame it. We'll go back through kind of line by line and think about the context of it all and uh, really what it has for us. So what's going on here? Remember, last week, the disciples and Jesus, they've gone across the lake to a city called Gennesaret, which is really like a rural area. And the Pharisees, who are from the big city in Jerusalem, they go out from Jerusalem, from the big city, all the way out to the rural area. And why do they come? Well, they come to to pick a fight, or at least pick a debate. And what I imagine in my head as I'm picturing this event, I, I picture like West Side Story, you know, where the guys are like snapping their fingers, like approaching the other. That's what I'm picturing in my head. It's probably not historically accurate. They come to pick a fight, and um, really what they say is, how come your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't, they don't wash their hands before they eat. 
So they come all the way out from the city to Gennesaret. They come all the way out there to complain about how dirty the disciples are. That's not really what's going on. Um, but what I, I picture in my head is like uh, when I was a kid and I went to grandma's house and she would not let us eat dinner unless we had washed our hands for a certain amount of time, right? And if you were too quick, then you got sent back to the bathroom. So over time, what you learned how to do was like just leave the water running for a certain amount of time so that grandma would think that you washed your hands long enough. I'm the only person who did that? Okay. My grandma listens to the podcast too, so she's now going to know that I was fooling her all along. Um, that's, not, that's not what's going on. Uh, the Pharisees are upset because they had a tradition um, that apparently the disciples of Jesus are not following. Uh, so that tradition, really, it came out of an effort to follow the, the laws of purity for the priests and for temple worship. And what developed over time was this oral tradition around how to ritually cleanse yourself at the end of the day. There was this necessity because you encountered unclean things throughout the day that you would need to cleanse yourself before you ate. Because in that mindset, uncleanness or defilement transfers itself. So if you touch an unclean thing, well, you become unclean. So maybe you touch an unclean animal or maybe you accidentally walk over a grave where there's a, a dead body which makes you unclean. Uh, maybe you touch an unclean person in a crowd. Think of the way that Jesus' crowds gather together and there's all sorts of people there. Lepers who are unclean or women who are bleeding, unclean. And so there was this overriding belief that you needed, if you were touched by something unclean, that uncleanness transferred itself to you and so you needed to cleanse yourself before you ate because the worst thing that could happen was you became unclean, you touched food, and then you consumed unclean food. It would just make it all worse. And so what developed over time to avoid such a dreadful thing from happening was this system of cleansing yourself at the end of the day. There's even a whole uh, a tractate of the Mishnah, which is the written version of this oral tradition called Yada'im, which is hands. And it describes how you are to wash your hands before you eat. And there was even a debate around, did you have to, the water have to go all the way to your wrists or could you just wash your fingers? And this seems foreign and, and probably silly to a lot of us. But this was a part of daily necessity. I mean, think brushing your teeth or think washing your hands after you go to the bathroom or rinsing your vegetables. It's, it's just a part of everyday life. And Jesus' disciples, they don't seem to bother with it. And the Pharisees, they're, they're peeved. And they're, why, why do your disciples, why do they break the tradition? And then Jesus, in his, his mastery of humility and wisdom, instead of doing what I would have done, which is like, fellas, it doesn't matter. Like, that, that would be my response. It's just, hey, it doesn't matter. Jesus actually gives a really creative and indicting response. He says, you, you are mad that my disciples break the traditions. And he says, how come you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? Which, if you're a spectator in this exchange, you're like, oh, dang, did Jesus really just say that to the Pharisees? And Jesus goes on to explain. If you look down in verse 4, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares 
that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, then they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your your tradition, you hypocrites. So what Jesus is pointing out here is another aspect of tradition that developed over time. So this tradition actually came to be at odds with God's command to honor your father and mother. The the Pharisees taught that what what kids could do, really grown-up children could do, was they could devote something as Corbin or devoted to God. And that could be land or that could be tools or that could be resources. And by devoting it to God, you kind of protected it from having to use it to support your parents, particularly in their old age. And so there arose this practice. You would devote things to God so that you could protect them and and so that you didn't have to use them to support your parents. So so notice that, that Jesus is not saying, despite your tradition, you break the law of God. He's saying, because of your tradition, you break the law of God. You have actively made a way in your teaching for people to plainly disobey and break the commands of God. And you want to talk about washing hands? You hypocrites. And then he goes on to quote this commentary from Isaiah, which originally for Isaiah, it was to critique the religious leaders who were doing exactly this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus says, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Then something beautiful happens. See, up up until this point, this has been a, a conversation among the religious elites. So Jesus, who's this rabbi, he's talking to the Pharisees. It's this insider conversation. And then what does he do? Jesus called the crowd. Because this isn't just a discussion for the religious elites. It's an opportunity to teach about what truly defiles, what, what life really is all about, what, what is the way that the world truly works when we think about clean and unclean. He says in verse 10, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, this is what defiles them. So it's not a matter of washing or eating clean foods that keeps you undefiled or makes you unclean when you mess it up, it it actually functions the opposite way. He says it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth, which is a radical teaching that Jesus will go on to explain further. But then evidently, in the narrative that Matthew tells us, there's this shift, because the disciples come to him, which is kind of a funny exchange. So in verse 12, the disciples came to him, and they say, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Like, hey, Jesus, did you realize you made the Pharisees mad when you said that? And Jesus responds with, well, that's the way it should be. God is going to uproot everything not established by him. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Jesus says, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. 
these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So, so Peter comes back with, um, Jesus, can you, can you tell us what you're talking about? And I just imagine Jesus saying Pete, because I imagine sometimes that Jesus calls Peter Pete. I don't know why. But he's just Pete. You, you're still so incapable of insight. I mean, you just walked on water, man. Let me explain some stuff. And then Jesus explains nutrition 101, really. So food goes into the mouth, and then it goes into the stomach, and then it goes out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, those, those are actually deeply rooted in someone's heart. And, and all sorts of evil things come out of there. And he gives a list. Those sorts of things, those are what defile a person, not eating with unwashed hands. And, and in these simple words, Jesus fundamentally changes the worldview of his followers. Clean and unclean, defiled, undefiled. How does one get to be clean or unclean, defiled or undefiled? Jesus says it's not about washing your hands. It's about your inner life. The condition of your inner being. The evil things that come from there, that's what defiles you. And, and this is truly a revolutionary way for a Jewish rabbi to speak. Cleansing, washing, avoiding defilement. This was central to first century Judaism. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls were copied and maintained by a group of people called the Essenes. And they took these laws so seriously that what they did was they went out into the middle of the desert and they built a compound. A compound that had a, a very intricate system of pools for cleansing. And there was rules for the community about how far outside of the compound you had to go and to dig a hole a certain width and a certain depth in order to let things pass out of the body into. Because this was so central. It was just so normal. This was just life. And Jesus tears that down with this teaching. And as we look broader and as we think broader about the sorts of things that Jesus does, we see that it's actually not just here that this happens. The way that Jesus touches the unclean, the, the way that he interacts with Gentiles and foreigners and women, and, and what we see, not only is the uncleanness not transferred to Jesus, which is what you would expect, but that Jesus himself, he's able to actually transfer purity and cleanness externally. So he touches someone and they're made clean. He, he touches someone and they're restored. He, he speaks words over someone and they're forgiven. And so what you can see is how through Jesus' life and his teaching, he completely reverses this worldview. And, and for many of us, because we've never worried about ritual cleansing, this is really boring. And, and we can misunderstand the passage. So let me give you an example of a way that I have misunderstood this passage in the past. So when I was 16, 17, 19, 20 years old, I remember reading this passage and going, sweet, so nothing that goes into my mouth can defile me. So it doesn't matter as a 16-year-old if I drink alcohol because that can't possibly defile me. And that's a silly example, but hopefully you can see the gaping holes in that logic. But we end up twisting or completely misunderstanding what Jesus is doing here just because it's, it's not something that we care about that much. We don't care about ritual cleansing. 
So what I want to ask and spend the rest of our time together this morning is how are we, who are not overly concerned with ritual purity, how should we respond to and understand Jesus' words? Well, first, and this is actually unrelated to the main point, but it is a great opportunity to talk about this. Notice that Jesus actually upholds the command to honor your father and mother, not just as a, as a semi-important command, but as something really important and something that the, the Pharisees should be critiqued for, for not following. Now, if you're anything like me, the command to honor your father and mother, that's actually not very self-explanatory, right? Especially if you live out of the house or maybe you live in a different city or uh, for some of my friends whose parents have like, deeply wounded them. H- how are we to possibly understand that command? Well, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it this morning, but I would be remiss to not at least point out that Jesus upholds this command here. So all I want to say this morning is that we should be thoughtful and prayerful in how we do that and not do what people were apparently doing, which was try and find excuses to get out of that. Try and find excuses to not have to honor your parents. And I don't have all the answers on how to do that, but it is something that Jesus points out. Second, as we think about these words, um, and this is related to the main point for today, the, the Pharisees, they're all about appearances. And, and Jesus is concerned with what's underneath. And, and that's consistent with what we know about God from the rest of the scriptures. So if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, earlier on in the history of Israel, give this really interesting example in uh, the book of Samuel. And what happens is that God tells Samuel that he's going to go anoint a new king. You're going to go to Bethlehem and you're going to go to Jesse's house, this guy named Jesse. And one of his sons is going to be the king. And if you're, you're uh, familiar with the story, David is the one who ends up get, being anointed. But if you're there at the time, David's not the king material kind of guy. And so what happens is as Jesse is bringing his sons forward, uh, Jesse brings uh, one of his sons whose name is Eliab. And Samuel sees him and goes, that guy, that guy's king material. But notice, and I have it, what God says to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Apparently he's good looking and tall, which I am neither. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or think of the passage that Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You're singing the songs. You're showing up for the prayer meetings. You look like you've got it all put together, but your hearts are far from me, says the Lord. Now let's be honest with ourselves. Is this a problem that was only relegated to thousands of years ago? No. It's stuff that we still wrestle with today. I I know it's something that I do. I actually do it on a whole lot of levels. So on one level, I have to notice my own hypocrisy. 
See, the hard, hard part about teaching the Bible consistently is that I first have to teach myself. And I, and I have to be honest with myself because there are times in my life, seasons even, when I can go through the motions, singing, hands raised, teaching, counseling, whatever. And yet the reality is things can look fine on the outside and inside. I'm arrogant, I'm prideful, I'm fearful, I'm a complainer. I can be jealous, I can be irritable. And if you're just passing by my life, you can just look on the outside and be like, yeah, that guy has it all together. Because we assume based on appearances. I know I assume that of others. Everything looks fine on the outside, or or they use the right words, and I assume, yeah, everything is great. We even often project these things on purpose. Think the, the person who, oh, I've just been reading through the book of Lamentations recently, and it's just so encouraging for me. Like, hashtag blessed, you know? It, sometimes we put on religious language to, to project to others that we have it all together. And actually, the number one place where I've ever seen this happen, which this is really sad, is when you get a bunch of pastors together. Seriously. So what happens, because a lot of pastors, and maybe myself included, our sense of value is so tied up in the church that we serve that when we talk about it, we have to project everything is awesome. Everything awesome at our place, what about yours, huh? Like maybe I can, I, I can elevate myself over yours. And so, oh, you guys have five small groups? Oh, well, we have six. Oh, oh, you guys serve food on Wednesdays to the community? Yeah, we're really praying about like a food pantry to serve the whole city. Uh, you've been thinking about partnering with the new church. Oh, well, we've, we've sent out three, uh, three church planters in the last year. It's pretty cool. Oh, you had two baptisms on Easter? Yeah, we actually baptized in a shark tank uh, with great white sharks just to prove how much we trust Jesus. So the last one's not really real. Uh, but every other example I just used are either conversations I've heard or been a part of. Or sometimes, I've done this too, when I assume things about another group. I was an FCA camp leader. Love FCA. This is not a negative thing about FCA. But I was a camp leader, uh, and uh, I remember really distinctly this one, it was like the third night of camp, and this really passionate, you know, like crying, arms raised, like seat emptying, altar call kind of worship, right? On a, it was like a Wednesday night. <coughs> Wednesday night. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is good worship. Like, this is amazing. Look at what's going on. They're passionate. But really, what is good worship? Because I was just assuming based on outward appearance. Because what my roommate, who was also one of the leaders, pointed out was that the same kids who were emptying the seats and getting everyone to come forward and were like the most passionate singing up front Or they were actually the same kids who were telling us in the context of our small group, yeah, I'm not really that interested in following after Jesus. I'm not really interested in the whole, like, pick up your cross and die to yourself. I don't want to really do the things that Jesus tells me to do. So was it really good worship? Simply because of the appearance? Or was it an instance, like I know often happens in my life, where these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? We seem to, as humans, have this strong desire to have everything look really good on the outside, 
to go through the motions and project, hey, I've got it all together. But that's not what God is primarily concerned with. So what we need to do in the face of a passage like this is to be honest with ourselves and with God. Not just read this and think, oh, silly Pharisees who are so concerned with appearances or silly Pete never gets it. We must be honest about the fact that this life and following after Jesus, it's not about appearances as much as we want it to be. So first, I mentioned that this passage really calls us to remember, honor your father and mother. But second, it should also cause us to be honest with ourselves and with God. But third, um, I want to talk about what we should do with this idea of defilement. Uh, and, and though we do not have a system of like ritual cleansing and, I don't know what the opposite of defilement is, refilement? I don't know. What, what do we do uh, because even though we don't have these systems, what I have found, based on, on different contexts and different experiences, is that we actually have a very keen sense of defilement. And I'll give you some examples. Um, so I'm a, a National Guard chaplain. I get the privilege of working with soldiers on a once-a-month basis. And one of the things that is true both for my interactions with soldiers today in 2018, but also in what I've read about chaplains of, since World War II, up through Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan, is that killing, and, and particularly um, instances where innocent individuals, uh, there's unintended damage, um, being a part of that or seeing it actually makes people feel defiled. I mean, I, 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 you don't even have to take my word for it. I can point you to studies that, that have measured this. So we actually, in that sense, have a sense of defilement. But I also see it, um, when it comes to survivors of, of sexual assault. So I've heard dozens of horrific stories of sexual assault. And one common thing, um, it doesn't happen 100% of the time, but often what happens is there's this, this sense that people have the need to wash themselves, like physically wash themselves, even though there's this experience that it's not that they've been physically like dirty, but that there's something else deeper that has been violated. And, and so I've heard these stories where people feel the need to, to shower like for hours, for as long as possible, in order to cleanse themselves. In other contexts, since I've become a Christian and, and worked in various contexts and invited people to Bible studies or invited people to church, um, I, I, I often get these really weird responses. People are like, oh, I can't go into church. The holy water will start boiling. Or... Um, if I touch a Bible, um, it'll catch on fire, which I think maybe is from a movie somewhere. I've never seen this movie. But I honestly have had it happen like across different audiences and different contexts in different cities and personality types even. And what it seems to me, I mean, given all these things together, it seems to be rooted in this underlying understanding that we have as humans of defilement, either because of what we've done or maybe if things done to us, there's this sense that I can't possibly come close to God or his things. Which is really depressing. And who will save us from this defilement? Who will cleanse us? What can we possibly do with this deeply ingrained 
sense that the sin we do or the sin done to us or just the sin around us defiles us. What can we do? Well, it's Jesus and him alone who shows us, both through his teaching and his life, that he can and does cleanse. He purifies. He makes new. We don't have to stand off at a distance from Jesus thinking, once I'm able to clean myself up, then I can approach him. Or I am too dirty or broken or used to have a renewed life. It's it's precisely in coming to him that we can be cleansed, renewed, purified, healed. In a world that we just read words from, that was concerned with ritual purity and avoiding things that make you unclean, Jesus had a habit of going to those people who were unclean and touching them and cleansing them. And he did that then, and he does that now. As we come to the tables this morning, what we're doing is we're coming to the God who cleanses. And and Jesus, who by offering himself on the cross, cleanses us with his blood. That system of washing and sacrifice actually finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so as we come this morning, I want you to just think about three things. So first, I want us to actually consider and reflect. Ask God, search my heart. You know my inmost thoughts. If there is anything deep down in this heart that's not from you, God, I want to be honest about it. Not simply cover it up and make it look like I have everything all together. But God, help me be honest with myself and with you. Second, ask God to cleanse you. Through, through the blood of Jesus that cleanses, through, through your healing touch, God, cleanse me. Either from my sin that I have guilt for or from the sin done to me. You, God, you want to heal me and cleanse me? Or, or just the stuff that I've had to witness. God, I need cleansing. And third, we should pray for ourselves and for one another that as we come to the table this morning, that we would actually receive and believe in the cleansing, healing, new creation power of Jesus. We come forward for a reminder, a a physical sign of of a deep spiritual reality, which is we cannot do this on our own. We need to come to him and we need to receive from him. And that's what we do week in and week out. As we come this morning... Um, I want us to honestly consider those three things and come to the Jesus who cleanses and purifies and makes new. Lord, as we come this morning, we need you. We need you every day. Um, But Sundays offer us a unique opportunity to focus, hopefully not have to worry about all the other to-dos and responsibilities in our life. So God, I pray as we come forward to receive from you, you would search us and know us, that you would speak to us, that you would give us the grace to believe in your healing power. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.